Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. My name is John Ciara. I am the uh, I am the pastor of family ministry here at South Southridge Community Church, and uh, I want to share with you guys today. Like truly, I am so blessed. I am blessed to get to share God's word with you this morning. I am blessed to have the role and position that I have. Um, if you know me, you know that I am. I am. Well, I hope you know that I'm very passionate about our families, our students, and our kids. Um, you know, actually just two weeks ago, we had a winter retreat where we took a group of students and we went to Spruce Lake. And my wife always asks me two questions when I come home. Um, how did it go? And how are you feeling? Um, I was like, yeah, it went great. It was incredible. Great weekend. Lots of incredible memories. And she said, how are you feeling? And I said, well, I got more sleep than I did with our newborn, but I'm actually more tired and I don't understand why. And, you know, throughout the week, I started, I called my mentor, and I was talking with him, and he goes, you know, I'm kind of like, like, man, there's so much going on, and there's so much happening, and kids or students are wrestling through gender, they're wrestling through depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, community challenges, loneliness, like, all at the same time, and way more. And I'm talking to my mentor, and he goes, man, what a privilege, I was like, you are not listening to anything I'm saying. You're doing work right now, aren't you? But he was completely right, and he reset what I needed to hear. It is a privilege, church, to be a part of our students and our families and our kids' lives. It is a privilege and an honor when a student or kid says, hey, this is what I'm going through, and I need you to be aware of it. I need you to walk and journey with me. You know, this morning, we actually had... um, yeah, like an opportunity. We have, we have kids in student ministry that take place here on campus. I don't know how many of you are aware of that, but we, like first service, we had over 100 kids downstairs learning about the gospel. We had over 50 kids in the, uh, the activity center learning about God's truth and his word. We had 40 plus students in the student center wrestling through hard concepts and challenging issues. Like I, we are so blessed to be a part of a church that prioritizes the next generation. We are so blessed to have the opportunity to invest in the next generation. You know, this morning, uh, in addition to having ministry, we actually had a a lockdown drill. And for many, it's like, okay, check it off the list. But that is a opportunity to get down on on a kid's level and say, hey, listen, like, we're going to prepare you in the case of an emergency. Because we want you to know that there could be hardships that come. Now, we pray they never happen. We pray they never happen, but we want to prepare you. That's what we do every Sunday, lockdown drill or no. It is to come alongside a kid to get down on their level and say, hey, we want to prepare you. Serving the Lord is not always easy. In fact, quite honestly, it can be really challenging. But we're going to journey with you, and we're going to walk with you, and we're going to learn with you, and we're going to grow with you because we love you. Church, it is a privilege to be a part of our family's lives, and I'll take it one step further to simply say, I believe our church prioritizes that, and it is our responsibility to step into students' and kids' lives. They are the church of today, and the leaders 
of our church tomorrow. So as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this, very passionate about this direction. And some of you are probably wondering, what does this have to do with Revelation? I don't have a great crossover, so we're just going to totally transition. I'm going to pray. That's just the honest truth I wanted to share with you. Like, that's where my heart is. And I want to share that heart with you because I believe it's important. It's a part of our church. So let's pray one more time, and then we will jump into our study for this morning. Father, we love you. Once again, we come before you. We probably cannot do enough of this, God. Father, as we wrestle through the text and wrestle through your word and wrestle through revelation, Father, I'm just asking for wisdom. I know that I, um, I have wrestled through this passage quite a bit, and I do not feel adequate to present it, but I know that you will work in ways that I cannot, that your Holy Spirit will challenge, convict, and, and cultivate hearts for your truth and your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you guys, but when I read the book of Revelation, I have a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions. There's, there's just no either, easy way to say it. Um, sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm sad, sometimes I'm confused, sometimes I'm frustrated that I'm confused. There is a wide range of emotions as I read the text. And the only comparison I can think of is to a movie I've seen more times than I care to admit, and that is the Emoji Movie. How many of you have seen the Emoji Movie? Nobody! Oh, one person. All right, two people, three people. Great. Okay. Woo. My wife has begrudgingly seen it like upwards of seven times. So um, I love animation movies, and, and this movie in particular is all about this one emoji that can't decide what emotion it wants to be. And if, for any of you who don't know what emojis are, there are these little things on your phone that communicate emotion and feeling combined with text. And so anyway, there, there are these images and symbols, and this emoji can't decide. So sometimes he's happy, sometimes he's sad, sometimes he experiences the full range of feelings and emotions. The reality is, sometimes I feel like I should feel a certain way when I read these passages, but I don't. I feel this wide range of, of happiness at points, and, and then sadness at other points, and uh, a very irritating level of confusion at other points. I want to kind of cast the vision for this morning that my goal is not to get you to a certain emotion. My heart's desire out of today's message is to share a couple of themes, concepts, and truths out of God's word. How he works, how he stirs, how he cultivates, I would challenge you to wrestle with it. You know, I think there's something too saying, hey, I, I feel really sad about this. Why do I feel sad? What is that underlining element that makes me feel this way? What, what is that reason that I'm feeling overwhelming joy? Why is it that way? Why am I frustrated? Why am I angry? To process those things. Nonetheless, like this is a challenging passage and one that I, I want to wrestle with and I want to talk through and ultimately present God's truth as clearly as I possibly can with the encouragement that you guys continue to wrestle through it after that point. At this time, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 15. I'm going to invite Walt Sykes up. He's going to be leading us through some scripture. Revelation chapter 15 and 16. I would just encourage you listening, although Walt will be reading it aloud, 
to follow along in your Bible, to grab the Bible underneath your chair, to, to, to see God's word come alive as we read it through the pages of the text. Uh, we will be in Revelation chapter 15 to start and then eventually covering Revelation 16. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass, glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are you, your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord? and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and I saw in the heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was open. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen, and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This is a reading of God's word. We're going to start with verses one through five, and maybe as Walt was reading, you picked up on some some interesting highlights. As we read through Revelation 15, we see some very clear, purposefully intentional drawbacks to the Exodus. We see things like verse 3 where it says, and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. We see in verse 2, beside the sea standing, glass glowing like fire. We see um, a reference to the plagues. All of these are clear indications pointing back to an Exodus passage and the story of the Exodus of the Israelites leaving Egypt. In case you're unfamiliar with um, that, that story, I want to just quickly recap it. The Israelites, they kind of uh, migrate to Egypt and they're, they're settled in Egypt. And as they're in Egypt, generations go on and eventually they become persecuted. They become... Um, yeah, like they, they become slaves. And as a result, God hears their cries and raises up a leader to go and to deliver them. And that's Moses. And so Moses goes and he talks to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no, I will not do it. And basically, as a result, there are 10 plagues that take place throughout this portion of Scripture. 10 plagues that, that recognize God's glory, that, that point people and soften their hearts to the Lord, and ultimately serve the purpose of delivering the Israelites. These 10 plagues result in Pharaoh finally saying, fine, you can leave. And, and the people of Israel, they, they leave. And as they're leaving and fleeing, Pharaoh changes his heart. And so he pursues them with his army. God does this incredibly powerful miracle where he leads the people through um, through the Red Sea, and on the other shore they stand. And as the Egyptians pursue him, he closes the sea around him, around the Egyptians, wiping them out. 
Now you may be like, John, like that was a lot of information, but I want to point out some of the comparisons we see in this passage because I actually think it illuminates for us an understanding of what we're going to be studying this morning. There are a tremendous level of comparisons. When we look at the Exodus, the people of Israel are being persecuted in Egypt. When we look at Revelation, we see the saints are being persecuted and Christians continue to be persecuted. When we look to the Exodus, we see God's intentions of bringing glory through the plagues to deliver his people and to transform the hearts of people. When we look at Revelation, we see God's intentions to bring glory through the seals and the trumpets to deliver his people and to transform the hearts of people. When we move into Exodus, we see Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen, but he ignored and fought against the signs and wonders of God. When we look at Revelation, we see people's hearts are hardened and they do not listen to the seals or trumpets. They fight against the signs of God. When we look at Exodus, we see that the Israelites fled through the Red Sea and the Egyptians tried to follow but were ultimately destroyed Israel celebrated with a song because the wrath of God was against the people seeking to destroy them. When we look at Revelation, we see that the bowls are the finality of God's judgment against those who are looking to destroy God's people. There are a tremendous level of comparisons here that can help us better understand the passage that we are going to wrestle through this morning. You know, one, um, one commentary writes this, the sea is reminiscent not only of the crossing of the Red Sea, but also God's power to subdue chaos. The Israelites stood on the far shore of the Red Sea and observed the death of their enemies through God's power. In the last days, victorious saints likewise will stand on the far side of their troubles and persecutions and rejoice in the power of God. When we read through this passage, there's, there are two themes that stick out to me that are kind of going to be um, a common phrase for us this morning. When we read through, we see that there is God's deliverance and God's judgment. We see these two things exist, not only in this passage, but in the story of Scripture. Now, I need to do a little unpacking here. Just because I present them as two separate things does not mean that they don't necessarily coincide. I'm not trying to create a dichotomy here. I'm trying to represent two themes that exist. Listen, sometimes God uses judgment to bring about deliverance. Sometimes God judges people. Sometimes God delivers people. Sometimes God judges those he's going to be delivering. Are you still tracking with me? Hopefully, maybe. Some of you are like, I stopped 10 minutes ago, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> thank you for laughing, whoever that was, because everyone else, is everyone here? Everyone okay? Okay, good. Uh, this is very... I'm going to tangent for a second. This is very unusual for me when I talk with our students on Sunday nights or other times. It's a lot of conversation. Like, I, I'm, I'll ask them questions. We'll talk, like, literally. So right now, I'm like, please, somebody say amen or do something because I don't know if anyone's awake. So if I'm freaking out up here, oh, thank you. Yeah, great. Awesome. All right, moving on. Here we go. Where was I? Deliverance, judgment. These two themes, they exist in the passage. It doesn't mean that they are necessarily like 
should always be broken apart, it doesn't mean that I'm never going to experience hardship. You know, for me growing up, that was a, a hard thing I had to come to terms with. I thought, hey, if I love Jesus, nothing bad will happen. I can tell you that is not true, okay? I can tell you based on my own life, based on studying scripture, and based on even Jesus's life. It is not something as simple as I love God, God protects me from anything bad. In fact, I would go so far as to say, and I think this is uh, an NT quote that I want to get right. I think it is so well said that we are not necessarily protected physically from the consequences of judgment, but we are protected spiritually. And there is a huge difference. The challenges of this world, the consequences of sin, the distortions of what we experience, we may fully encounter all of those, but if we are a believer, if we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, nothing, nothing can take that away. We are protected spiritually. There are countless examples throughout Scripture, but the point that I want to make is that throughout the story of Scripture, God brings about judgment and deliverance. God brings about judgment and deliverance. We keep reading as we get to verses 6 through 8. Chapter 15, verses 6 through 8, John sees the temple in heaven. He sees the seven angels and the seven bowls filled with God's wrath being poured out. Now, we could do a whole message series on God's presence, which is truly like there are some powerful images packed into this portion of Scripture. Notice some of the, um, the images that are here. The tabernacle, the altar, the temple, God's throne, clouds, fire, thunder, smoke. These are all Old Testament images to represent God's presence. And they're all kind of converging at this one spot. And it's like, man, God's power and presence is in the temple. And as a result, what happens? No one can even enter it until the wrath of God has been fully poured out, until it has been finished. God's presence. Listen, I don't know about you. This is, there's a, a portion of this that I struggle with, right? And that's, that's the, I want to call it the elephant in the room, but it's the God is the one that brings about the wrath, right? I don't know about you. The first thing that comes to my mind is like, bad things don't come from God, right? So, so with that in mind, I want, I want to challenge something. Listen, personally, when I'm talking to my uh, unsaved um, non-Christian friends, very rarely do I ever walk up to them and be like, I serve a great God. He is super just, and he's got a whole bunch of wrath that's going to pour down. Very rarely do I portray God that way. Usually the way that I like to talk about God and relate to God tends to be a whole lot more like, I serve a loving, caring, gracious father, right? Which is all true. None of that is a lie. All of that is very true. But I think a part of that is because of my perspective on God. Part of that is based on my maybe even experience relating to who God is. See, the reality is, like, very truthfully, like, I, I can't relate to severe persecution for my faith. No one is walking through those doors, putting me in handcuffs, 
and bringing me off to prison for the rest of my life because I said the name of Jesus Christ. No one is coming after my family and saying, listen, you either stop preaching the gospel or we're going to kill your entire family. Listen, I, I want to relate this back to even the Exodus passage. We tend to focus on Moses, which we should, but we totally sometimes gloss over the fact that Pharaoh commanded that all babies would be killed. Listen, I am a brand new father. And I cannot imagine where that would put me. Like truly, I could tell you the cries of my heart would look a lot different. I'm sure that you would hear me crying out to the Lord for justice and judgment to be rained down upon those that were persecuting my family. That were abusing power that were distorting and mistreating God's creation. Yes, it is hard for us to wrestle through what it looks like to have a God that is just and does judge and has wrath. But for me personally, part of that reason it's so hard is because that's not what I tend to ask for from God. I tend to ask for blessings and joy, and my life is so good. Uh, just me personally, I, I don't know where you're at. My life is so good. So instead, what I don't know where that puts you, and I don't know what that wrestles through. All I'm simply saying is, like, God, there is something to wrestle through here with God's judgment and recognizing that wrath will be poured out. But there is also something incredibly hopeful about it. If you're the one on the other end of injustice and hardship and pain and brokenness, that I think each one of us could point to different areas of our world and see exist 100%. And at the end of the day, we know in the story of Scripture, it will only come to a conclusion through God reconciling it, through judgment, through his wrath, and through making it new. In the story of scripture, God brings about both deliverance and judgment. At this time, we're going to get into Revelation 16. I'm going to invite Walt back up. He's going to kind of walk us through the bulls. And I am just going to ask you, listen, there's a lot here to wrestle through, to understand. I just pray that we would just prepare our hearts to listen, to hear, to read God's word as we, um, as we continue our study this morning. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of the water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. 
And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and the curse, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over the plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hell, because the plague was so terrible. Chapter 16, we start studying the bowls. As we look at bowl number one, we see God causes suffering for the idolatrous followers of this world. Harmful sores came upon the people with the mark of the beast. It's interesting because this has kind of direct correlation way back to the Exodus, right? Where there are the sores that break out, the boils that, that break out on the Egyptians, which is the sixth plague in Exodus. One commentary writes this, and I found this fascinating. The punishment matches the crime. Those who receive an idolatrous mark will also be chastised by being given a penal mark. These sores could represent forms of suffering similar to the fifth trumpet as we look at, you know, the idea of spiritual and psychological torment. Regardless, this is the first bowl. I think it's important to remind ourselves in the story of Scripture, God brings about judgment and deliverance. The second bowl, in verse 3, God punishes the economic world system. The second bowl is poured out over the ocean, killing everything in it. It's kind of hard for us to comprehend because the reality is in this time, like their economic system was usually built around water and transportation over the oceans. This, this has direct implications on their economic system. 
the commerce that is being done through and over the waters, it kind of highlights their sufficiencies and their bank accounts and all those other parallels drawn throughout this passage. Throughout the story of Scripture, God brings about both judgment and deliverance. In the third bowl, God economically punishes the persecutors of his people in verses 4 through 7. The angel pours out the bowl on the rivers. Now, rivers were this key source of living water, life-giving water, because it was always running. It was never stagnant. And so as a result, to drink of it was usually fresh. But instead, we see them turn to blood. Those who persecuted and killed others now drink the blood from the river. It even goes so far as to say that the people in heaven rejoice, the saints and martyrs, because God's wrath was poured out on those who persecuted them. In the story of Scripture, God brings about deliverance and judgment. The fourth bowl, God punishes the ungodly because of their idolatry. The fourth bowl intensifies. What is it? It's poured out on the sun. And the sun becomes ablaze. Men were scorched with a fierce heat. They were repaid for what they had done to others. This has, excuse me, some connections back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. It corresponds to a number of prophesied judgments throughout Isaiah, Joel, Malachi. Like, this group of people, they did not repent. They were hardened heart. They refused to acknowledge the glory and the honor of God. And God's wrath was poured out. In the fifth bowl, God punishes the hardened idolaters, by causing them to suffer through revealing to them the irredeemable separation from him. Basically, it's poured out over the throne of the beast. We see a similar throne um, portrayed actually earlier in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, talking about Satan's throne related to the letter to Pergamum. The point being they were plunged into darkness. And it talks about their response. It says, this darkness induces anguish. Figuratively or literally, it brought about the gnawing of their tongues because of their pain. Listen, I, I want to go off on a tangent, but instead just want to highlight, like when we talk about things like hell or other places, like, I personally tend to think about the imagery of uh, flames and darkness and all those concepts connected to what we think of as hell. But I think the most devastating is being separated from God. Like especially when we recognize that God is everything that is good. <laughs> this is the deepest despair that could be experienced. God brings about judgment and deliverance throughout the story of Scripture. 
In the sixth bowl, God gathers together the ungodly forces in order to punish, bringing them to a decisive end. He pours, they pour out the bowl on the river Euphrates and it dries. And as a result, many nations gather in objection to fight. This is prophesied throughout the Old Testament as we look at passages like Isaiah 11, 44, and Jeremiah 50 and 51. Like, there are multiple references to this moment, this culmination. Armageddon. As we highlight Armageddon, I'm going to pass this down the road to good old Pastor Tucky, who's going to be covering this in a couple of weeks. I, I do think there's so much for us to be getting into and so much to wrestle through here. I will say this, this Armageddon concept, this, this final battle, this is the culmination. This is the coming of Christ. This is the, the final fight. And I want to do it justice by giving it the time to unpack and, and really wrestle through. And so Nathan's going to be getting into that in a, a week or two. But ultimately, we have to understand that God brings about judgment and deliverance. This leads us to the seventh bowl. God punishes the ungodly world system with the final judgment. Pour it out on the air. Keep in mind, there, there's so much for us to unpack here, but the idea of the judgment being poured out on the air, Satan sometimes being described as the prince of the air. Evil has been eradicated, and a voice comes out of heaven saying, It is done. Not only has the final wrath been poured out, but evil has been cleansed. It has been destroyed. When Jesus came on the cross, the head of the serpent was crushed. But on the day, this day, the serpent will be fully destroyed. It is done. It is done. It marks the historical realization of the purpose of what the seven bowls stand for. In them, the wrath of God is finished. It is done. It is done. Now, I can't speak for where you're at. We just covered seven bowls of judgment, of recognizing the judgment that will be poured out to reconcile and redeem. Through this judgment, we understand that deliverance will come. We understand that both judgment and deliverance exist within this passage. And understanding all the ramifications and pieces and nuances is a lot to wrestle through. But nonetheless, I want to highlight that throughout the story of Scripture, God brings about both judgment and deliverance. You know, I, I've been referencing the story of Scripture so much, I do think it is always important for us to put things within the scope of the story of Scripture. And so Nathan, a couple of weeks ago, he actually, actually it's probably a couple months ago, but regardless of when it was, we covered these pillars and these ideas and these concepts that, that make up the story of Scripture. And if I could just, for a second... Put this story within the picture of Scripture. We start off with creation. 
God creates mankind and everything in the world, and it is good. It is beautiful. It is wholesome. It is a utopia of connection and relationship where God raises up mankind to be co-rulers with him, not equals, but co-rulers to be serving alongside him in the stewardship and the care of the garden. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, separation, deceived by Satan. Human beings betray God and they seek to be God. Seek to be the one worshipped and glorified. Seek to be the one receiving the praise, the honor, and the glory. Ruling over all of creation. This sin distorts and breaks the image of what was originally so, so good is now distorted. And requires a reconciliation and a restoration. And so God exiles Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Removing them from that place, but giving them the promise of someday an anointed one to rescue and restore. We then see the anticipation of the people. As we read through the Old Testament, we see characters like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We see David and Solomon, all of these Men and women of Scripture longing for the Messiah, waiting in anticipation for the day when one will come to restore, to reconcile, to rejuvenate. And in their anticipation, they serve. We then see the incarnation. After several years of bondage in both Babylon and Persia, it leads the people of Israel to the, being underneath the rule and reign of Rome. And underneath the rule and reign of Rome, Caesar Augustus sends out a census saying, return to your hometowns. And lo and behold, a baby is born in a manger. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, incarnate, 100% man and 100% God, the hypostatic union, fulfilling the reconciliation of two things that were separated. He comes to earth, lives the perfect life, and then dies on the cross, is buried, and raises from the dead. Which leads us to the indwelling Shortly after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he ascends into heaven and he leaves us his spirit, the Holy Spirit that indwells believers. Indwelling believers. Listen, the Holy Spirit is in this room right now. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within me right now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ following the Lord as a disciple, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you right now. Now, we see this Holy Spirit moving in ways which leads us to expansion. See, God's mission moved outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth where God's name would be proclaimed so that every nation, tongue, tribe, people, group would know the name of God. 
we see the mission expanding. And the result is restoration flourishing as it leads us to the new creation. This creation that we are currently a part of right now has been ravaged and broken, distorted, and requires a very radical intervention. This radical intervention looks like a new creation. See, the powers of darkness were defeated at the cross, but the full effects of the victory have not yet fully been seen or experienced. But someday... Someday, Christ will return. And on that day, we will see the full defeat of evil. And for everything to be set right, what's been broken will now be restored. We will have a new creation. Church, we are a part of this story. This is the story of Scripture. And as we look at the story of Scripture, do not, do not for a second belittle what we have just studied, but also do not put it in a box. We see throughout the story of Scripture, God delivers and he brings about judgment. Throughout the story of Scripture, God brings about deliverance and judgment. But there is one thing we can look back to as a catalyst for hope. And that is Christ. We're going to sing a song, one that most of you are familiar with. It's called In Christ Alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone. What does it look like to actually believe those words? In Christ alone. Not in the things of this world. Not in the ministries, programs, whatever else. Like It is only in Christ that we experience hope. And we are blessed to be a part of that mission. We are blessed to be a part of the expansion. We are blessed to experience the fullness of who Christ is. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Strong. 
Father, we love you. We are grateful for you. We give a blessing and honor and in praise, Father, in Christ alone, our hope is found. He alone is our rock. Father, thank you for your, your blessings, your truth, your goodness. I want to pray for our body, whether here in person or online, Lord, would we be able to wrestle through this more in understanding and comprehension and ultimately wrestling for the purpose of greater understanding of you in relationship, God. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. And we are thankful. We are thankful throughout the story of Scripture that you bring about both judgment and deliverance, Father. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for being here. Um, yeah, if you would like to receive some prayer, our prayer team will be up here to the, to the front. Go and be blessed.